Hey, welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Check us out on the web at missiodeschicago.com. Middle halfway point of March, and uh, for those who are, you know, on the uh, type A spectrum, like just read it, you know, finish it. If that makes you feel better, just do it, please. Finish it and read it. Um, but we're going to finish it, I promise. We're going to get back into it. But Mark 8, pivotal moment in the Gospel of Mark, verse 27 it says this, and Jesus went on, his, on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you're the Christ. And then Jesus said, hey, don't tell anybody about this. Like, <laughs> keep this on the down low, Peter. Um, because in verse 31... Next slide. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, be killed, and three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and rebuked him. Turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. Not one of the things you want to be called by your rabbi. Um, and for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. The word of the Lord. Amen. Let me pray for us. God, I pray that you would shape us this morning, um, stir our imaginations for uh, what uh, could be of our life uh, with you. Uh, please um, move in our hearts, God, we pray. And um, I just pray that uh, wherever you are, um, whether you're here because you're full of faith or you're full of doubt, uh, whether you're here because you're full of joy or full of grief, um, I invite you to bring your whole self to Jesus right now. Um, in bringing your whole self to Jesus, um, would you just ask him to speak to you? Jesus, uh, we, we give you this time. We pray that your words would last forever. My words would fall to the ground. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. <clears throat> so uh, this passage uh, is the pivotal point of Mark. The rest of Mark's journey um, from this point of Mark 8, it's right in the middle, 16 chapters. This is the hinge um, where Jesus is like, hey, who do people say that I am? Um, and he is... Uh, self-identifying as the Messiah and what that truly means. He's been trying to get his disciples to see that this whole Messiah thing is not a political Messiah, earthly Messiah. This is a, this is a, a, a greater cosmos Messiah who's going to die and raise again. Um, and the rest of this journey is, there's always these phrases called going to Jerusalem, and it's all about Jesus going on the way to the cross. Uh, so today I want to talk about what is the importance of the cross uh, in our life, um, why is it important, and really, what does that look like on a daily, practical level? <clears throat> um, before I do that, um, just a little context. Again, you saw that, uh, the passage we read, um, probably one of uh, the, the, whenever I read this passage, my mind goes back to the Jesus of Nazareth movie, movie where there's a white Jesus, which is wrong, but, um, you know, they're all like, it feels like an, almost like an SNL, a bad SNL skit. 
Because they're all sitting around, and they're around the campfire, and they're laughing. And Jesus is like, hey, who do people say that I am? And Peter's like, some say you're Elijah. <laughs> and all start laughing. And then one's like, some say you're John the Baptist. <laughs> and it's like all laughing, and it's really silly and just bad acting. But then it, gets, it zooms in on Peter's face, and Jesus says, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And I love that because in the Greek, um, the word you comes first. Whenever you want to show something's emphatic, you put it at the very beginning of the sentence in the Greek structure. Um, and so the way the Greek reads is, you say that I am. So in other words, like, what about you? I know what everybody else says, but what about you? And then Peter says, well, you're the Christ, the son of the most high. You're the son of man. And so, um, and, then, and then he says, hey, keep that on the down low, because um, I don't really think you're going to be representing me too well right now. You don't fully get that. He says, in Matthew, he says, that was revealed to you not by the spirit, but by man. Um, and so Peter kind of like guessed the right answer, but but Jesus is like, good answer, but you got it wrong. It's kind of like, I don't know if in marriage where you like, you know how to say the right thing, but like your spouse is like, yeah, it doesn't really mean anything to me now though, because you didn't do it right the first time. Like you gave me the right answer, but you, you, you still don't get it. Like, you know what I mean? And so that's what Jesus is kind of doing. He's like, good answer. You just missed it. I can tell. Um, we'll see one day if you get it. Uh, and so Jesus is saying, keep that on the down low. And then he gets into this. Um, he said, he, 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 uh, he, he says, get behind me, Satan, which um, that's not, Satan, as most of you know, is not like a pet term of endearment name or anything like that. It's, it's not like, hey, like, like buddy, it's, that's like a, the, one of the biggest insults, but it shows us some insight, huge insight into the way of Jesus, that Peter says, hey, you know, Jesus says, I'm going to die, and then Peter says, hey, um, let me give you some PR advice, Jesus. So, um, you know this whole death thing? Like, not going well. The crowds aren't digging it, not liking it. You're not really getting higher, you know, approval ratings. Um, and Jesus is like, whoa, get behind me, Satan. What, in other words, what he's saying is, is G- Peter tries to tell him this whole suffering thing, not going to happen. And what Jesus is showing us is this, this, this idea of following Jesus without a cross is, is com- completely absurd. That, 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 um, and then this idea of wanting a savior, wanting a savior without the, the suffering is a satanic idea. That you want salvation without the cross is an is a idea and a lie of the enemy. That you can have this sense of fulfillment in life, this sense of full wholeness, integration, whatever you want to call it in whatever language you want to use. But life that is truly life, here and now and for eternity, Having that without suffering is, is impossible. It's just not the way life works. And so he, he rebukes him, and then he says, here's the truth. If you're going to follow me, you're going to have to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. And so um, I want to talk about uh, embracing self-denial. Woohoo! Fun topic. Your favorite. Um, and so at the center of following Jesus is this symbol of a cross, and the symbol of the cross, like we see the symbol on buildings. We don't have one here because we meet in an event center. Um, but you, we hear it in song lyrics. Um, cross earrings are back, you know. I remember like it's now getting to the place. I remember when I was a kid, my parents were like, yeah, you're wearing bell bottoms. We used to wear bell bottoms. You're wearing the vintage jacket blazer. We used to wear that. And now it's like I'm seeing, you know, the filas come back. And I'm like, whoa, filas. Whoa, cross earrings. Like everything's coming back. Um, and so... Um, <clears throat> <laughs> we see this, we see this uh, symbol everywhere, um, the symbol of death. Um, but in a city like ours, self-denial sounds like crazy talk. Um, this idea of denying self, 
uh, is in this world absurd. In every message you hear from our culture, from our world, is the exact opposite. The exact opposite. Everything else in our life is about self-fulfillment. Whereas Jesus' disciples were all about self-fulfillment, Jesus' way was about surrender. Um, not, the next chapter, Jesus says, hey guys, I'm going to die and I'm going to suffer and I'm going to raise again in three days. And the very next sentence says James and John were arguing about who would be the greatest to sit on Jesus' right and left. And whereas the, Jesus is about surrendering his life, the disciples were about fulfilling theirs. And we have the same message more, screaming loudly at Gusto today. And, and we're built on this. Our whole country is built on this. Um, uh, Alexis did. Tocqueville, am I saying that right? Some of you philosophers will know. Um, He came to America and um, observed from England, and he's like, this is what I observed. He wrote this amazing book and uh, called, uh, I think it's called Democracy, and um, listen to this. Um, The first thing that strikes the observation, this is written in 1831, by the way, 190 years ago. Um, The first thing that strikes the observation is an innumerable multitude of men, all equal and alike, incessantly endeavoring to procure the petty and paltry pleasures with which they glut their lives. Each of them, living apart, is as a stranger to the fate of all the rest. His children and his private friends constitute to him the whole of mankind. As for the rest of his fellow citizens, he is close to them, but he does not see them. He touches them, but he does not feel them. He exists only in himself and for himself alone. And if his kindred still remain to him. He may be said, at any rate, to have lost his country. This was written in 1831, but could have been written today, that the same thing goes, that we live in an age of completely self-fulfillment. All the slogans you hear, just do it, have it your way. Um, I just, last year, when I did my taxes, TurboTax advertisement was like, this is the year of you. This is the year of you, so celebrate you. You, you do you, treat yourself, we can keep going. Um, this, is, this is the age we swim in. There's a great documentary. The title is very fitting, The Century of Self. Um, every opposite. People can't imagine a life that is good for you that is different from the vision of getting whatever you want. That's the culture we swim in, that, if, that what is best for you, we're all in this room trying to discern the vision of the good life, right? No matter who you are. We're trying to discern what is the vision of the good life. And our culture tells us the vision of the good life is getting exactly what you want. And anybody who gets in the way of that is oppressing you. And anyone who tells you otherwise is trying to hurt you. And the closest thing we have to self-denial in our culture is probably health and fitness, um, right? What we're talking about with self-denial is not saying no to chocolate. Um, We're not saying, like, uh, health and fitness, good things, obviously, but even saying no to chocolate and yes to CrossFit, which I still think is a cult, um, it is still a mechanism, sorry if you're in there, but that's okay, um, <clears throat> it is still a mechanism for further self-fulfillment. To look good and feel good at its root, the idea of saying no, no to this is still an idea of like, I want to self-fulfill the fact that I have this great body, right? Um, we don't, we, th- this idea is um, completely like life is basically giving us participation awards, all the time, just for doing whatever we want. <laughs> you, you guys have been there, right, with your kids? Like, you got a participation award. Like, you participated. You can do whatever you want. Um, but what Jesus shows us is maturity is not achieving by getting what we want. Um, maturity is marked by releasing one's desires. Um, having greater desires, we're going to get into that, uh, but the sense of... Um, 
the sense that like we cannot envision the good life without getting what we want. This is one of the greatest parental challenges, right? To get your kids to like convince a two-year-old that broccoli is good for you. Like, to do that is very hard. Oh, oh, eat this, I promise, it's better for you in the long run. Like, doesn't really work well. And that's what it feels like trying to give this talk on self-denial right now. Trying to convince a crowd that here's messages over messages that denying yourself is actually what's best for your happiness. That if you want to be happy and fulfilled in this life with Jesus, it is going to be deny yourself. Now, what, is, now, what about the church? The church, two extremes. We've, you've heard streams of the church where it's basically like it's wrong to be happy. Actually, it's totally wrong. We're actually looking, I'm looking at doing a whole sermon series in November on happiness. What is the happy life? What does it mean to choose joy? So excited for that. Um, but uh, there's the idea that like it's just wrong to be happy. You need to be miserable if you're a follower of Christ. You need to just deny yourself. No, we're not talking about just denying yourself just to deny yourself of things. The other extreme is what one of my friends, John Tyson, said that he remembers when he was a Christian, he grew up in this very strong prosperity culture, and he remembers like a pastor pulling him aside in a rich neighborhood, and he's like, you see that house? You see this car? If you have that, people will then know that's what it's like when you follow Jesus. You'll get that house, you'll have that car, and that's what happens when you follow Jesus. And he's like, that's what he was sold all his life. And so um, there's these two extremes that we see, that we see that Jesus is like, there's a different way. Now, when I say self-denial, what am I saying? Um, I'm not saying, next slide, uh, it's not saying, deny yourself, not yourself. So when he says deny yourself, some of you are hearing like, deny me? Like, I'm, I'm confused. Um, you and yourself were created by God, you're a child of God, you're loved by God, you are a child and son of God. You were made with the most extraordinary glory on this earth. You are the highest of all creation in terms of being made in God's image. That is who you are. That is what you are to embrace. Um, You are to embrace that. Denying self, in other words, is the the biblical word for flesh. Um, To put it plainly, it's disordered desires. Um, it's, it's denying the, des, the desires that are disordered. Um, all of our, God made us with desire. Desire is not a bad thing. It's, it's a neutral thing. Um, what he wants us to do is have stronger desires than what we currently have. It's kind of like what C.S. Lewis said. We're kind of like a, a child doesn't understand that says no to the voyage at the sea because he's happy playing with the mud. And so we're happy playing with this mud, with this desire to just play in the mud, when we don't fully comprehend what's being offered to us by God, and it's this voyage at the sea. And so um, disordered desires are the things that, that, that what he's saying here, um, to get out of Mark for a little bit, Galatians 2, Paul says, which all the New Testament writers are just trying to continue to expound on the way of Jesus and the Gospels, and he says, I have crucified the flesh. It is not I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. Now, is is Paul alive writing this? Yes. So he's like, I'm dead. I've been crucified with Christ, right? Like, I've been buried with him. We're about to do baptisms coming up. This is the picture. That I've died to my old self, and I'm raised to a new life. That that what we are dying to is this flesh, these uh, disordered desires in our heart, the systems of this world, and the lies of the enemy. Those are the tri-threefold things that we are to die to as Christians, is the disordered desires of our own heart, the systems of this world that, that uh, convince us into these patterns of sin, 
and then uh, the, the Satan, the enemy. <clears throat> and so when we, we're, we're, we die and raise again. Now, let me read it another way, Colossians 3. Um, Paul expounds again on what this uh, is like. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Uh, Colossians 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on things of this earth. For you have died. Your life is hidden with Christ. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him. Then put to death what? What are we to die to? Earthly, uh, what is earthly in you? Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil, desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. And so he says, these are the things you are to die to. In them you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must um, put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with his practices and put on the new. So when we are baptized, it's this picture of dying to the old and being raised to new life. Now, there's a legend out there, um, I don't know if it's true, but it preaches good, um, that during the Crusades, um, the infantry that would go out in battle during the Crusades, which we mocked the Crusades, right, because it was just a horrible thing that Christians participated in, um, of, of murdering other people in the name of religion, horrible truth, horrible fact that happened, and um, there's this myth that they would get baptized before the battle in their armor, and as they were baptized, they would raise up their sword Everything would go under but their sword. Basically, like, I belong all to you, God, except this sword that's to kill my enemy. Now, we can mock at that, laugh at that, um, but let's be honest. All of us kind of have that exact same thing. God, you can baptize all of me. You can have, I'll die to everything but what would you raise in your hand? I'll, I'll die to everything but my wallet. I'll die to everything but my relationship that I'm holding on to. I'll, I'll die to everything but this job, this career that I'm pursuing. I'll die to everything but... These, these accolades that I'm, that I'm wanting to be admired, to be loved, this, this, this awesome material stuff that just keeps driving my pleasure serotonin levels every day that I need. Whatever it is, that we, we all do that, myself included. And so what Jesus is saying is like, we are to die to those, if you want to, now, <clears throat> we just stop here. The key word in this passage is will. He says, if you would deny yourself, um, sorry, go back. Uh, he says that if, you will, um, you will, if you, if you want to, sorry, the next verse is what I'm trying to get at. If you want to save your life, you will lose it, is what he says. And if you want to lose your life, if you lose your life for my sake, you will find it. Not should, not might, but will. This is a promise. This is not, you need to hear this as not a command. Um, this is a promise from God. A lot of times Jesus is just teaching. I love his teaching. He's so much more black and white. Probably the Missio Day. Missio Day loves option C. You know, like A, B, option C. It's so much more nuanced. Jesus is like, no, black and white. Here it is right here. You want to save your life? You'll lose it. You lose your life for me? You'll find it. And he said, this is the way. I'm not trying to give you this command. I'm just describing to you the way life works. This is the way ultimate reality is. That's what Jesus often does when he teaches, right? He's just saying, this is the way that life works. You will lose your life if you try to save your life. But if you lose it for me, you will find life. So, because right now at this point, self-denial just sounds like crazy talk. It's like, why would I want to do this? And he, Jesus anticipates as a good teacher, why? He says, the reason why is so that you will actually find life. So what we're talking about self-denial is not just this, this sense of asceticism, you know, like, I'm going to go and like do these things, withhold things just to withhold them. It's so that you can find life so that you can have life to the abundant, to the fullest. 
that this is the way life works best. So the center of discipleship is the cross. Um, I remember <clears throat> seeing this game um, called, uh, you know, it's, it's really bad. Christians do some really stupid things. Um, one of those things is like take whatever the world does and just tries to copy it, um, like copy Monopoly and make this game called Going to Jerusalem. And it's all about you as a disciple going to Jerusalem with Jesus. And you're on this journey, and you flip over cards, and if you can figure out where the verse comes from the Bible, you get to move forward with Jesus. And you're all going to Jerusalem, just like we talked about in Mark. It's a real fun game. You guys should play it sometime. But the deal is, is you get to the end of the game, and you walk out the empty tomb with Jesus. But guess what's not in this game? The cross. And I think for most of us, we see Christianity as this game is a crossless Christianity. Many of us have a crossless Christianity. We choose comfort or, or versus the cross. My question for you today is, are you going to choose comfort or are you going to deny yourself and choose the cross? Because that is the way that his life is truly life. So now, a lot of you are looking at me crazy still, so I'm going to try to my best to explain what I think Jesus is talking about here, because he has two options. And so the what I think here is I just want to walk you down the path of both of these options. Deny Jesus, follow self, option A. Deny self, follow Jesus. The first option is we will always be unsatisfied. If our self, the, the sacredness of self is the, is the mantra of our age, follow yourself is orthodoxy, deny yourself is heresy. And if we follow that out long enough, we will constantly be unsatisfied. Why? Because human desire is infinite. Human desire is infinite. It cannot be satisfied. The nature of the human soul was built by God and for God. Augustine said 1,500 years ago, the great African um, theologian said that our hearts are restless until they find rest in thee. That we, we are this, this sense of constant, um, on this race of desire, longing to be filled. And nothing less, we've heard this at nauseum, and it sounds like white noise, but hear this again, nothing less than connection with God will satisfy you. That nothing else will satisfy you other than connection to God. Our ravenous desire in our soul will never, ever get enough. And if you don't believe me, let's just think and run through the things that we think will fulfill us. Number one, good job. A lot of us think a good job, once I get the good job, it's going to make me happy. Um, the truth is, is people go through job loss, changes in jobs, bad situations in jobs, and they still figure out how to be happy. Good job is not going to make you happy. You having the career of your choice, if I were to survey all of you, basically based off my conversations, one out of 20 of you are happy with your job right now. And, and we believe this lie that if I just change jobs... I'm going to be happy. No, you're just changing the same human predicament over history time and time again. But our brain tricks us in thinking this will make us happy. And many of us want the good job actually means something else. It's not a good job. It's actually just more money. That's another thing. that Who in here wants more money? I want more money. Anybody? Okay, cool. Make sure we're all on the same page here. We all want more money. And I convinced myself that if I just could make a little bit more money, I'll be happy. Um, and this is the lie that we always do. There was a survey done um, by this really hard psychologist named Leah Bermersky, 2008. How much salary do you need? Surveyed thousands of people. Those currently earn 30000 how much do you think they said? And then currently earning 100000 how much do you think they said? 30000 said, you know, if I could just make $50,000, i will be happy. 
The people who made 100,000 said, you know what? I really need to be making 250,000 to be happy. And so the, we always just do this to ourselves. You know, if I could just earn $10,000 more, I'll finally be happy. I'll finally have what I need. Research shows that actually, this is a whole long like, talk on, on happiness from a professor at Yale. Um, but basically, through all the research, those in poorer countries that do get an economic bump actually does make them a little bit happy because the economic bump actually helps them just get their basic needs met. In America, increase of income means nothing to our happiness because we all are getting our basic needs and it's for the most part, at least in this room. And so um, the, the money does not make us happy. And, and we are more and more so believing the lie that this is true. And so we do not deny ourselves which is actually what will make us happy is the one choice I've never neglected or regretted is giving money away. I've never been like, yeah, I shouldn't have done that. That choice always makes me feel happy. But we believe this lie in that we need to persevere, self-preservation mode, survive, get more stuff, accumulate, buy the thing that lasts, makes us happy for 30 seconds, but then that just never leads anywhere either. So getting awesome stuff doesn't make us more happy. So some of us are like, oh, if I just get, have you ever gotten that, like I've gotten gifts before, right? And it's like, oh, this new shoe, these new shoes. It's like, now I need a new belt and a new, you know, now I need new pants. And it's like, anybody else? I mean, it's like, you're like, now that, I got, my pants are so old, they don't go good with the shoes. You're like, oh my gosh, it just never stops. And so getting new things don't make us, doesn't make us happy. Um, in fact, we are just continually believing this lie. We believe that, oh, with our day and age, with all this technological advancement, um, next slide, uh, next research study, the American Freshman Survey, National Norms for 2005, they've done this survey from 1967 up till now. It's the largest college uh, research study. They interview over 350,000 college students to get a broad swath. And here's what they found. What's very important in life, not just a question about money, just like what's most important to you in life. Uh, very well off financially um, is, is 71% in 2005 said that's what's most important in life if I'm very well off financially. What was it in 1967? 42%. 42%. Now, now you're probably thinking, you know what, college students just think everything's important in life. Relationships, money, they're probably just throwing, everything's probably through the roof, right? Um, we'll go to the next slide. What's most important in life? Developing a meaningful philosophy on life. 2005, 50%, less than half said having a meaningful philosophy of life will make me happy. 86% in 1967 says having a meaningful philosophy in life will make me happy. You see the trends? So we believe these things. We do, this is why denying ourselves is so important. Um, what about relationships? Denying ourselves with re relational fulfillment. Some of us think, you know, if I can only find that spouse, then I'm going to be happy. Then I'll be fulfilled. Then I'll find life. Jesus says, no, actually deny your, your uh, keep denying and ex not accepting the current um, situation that you're in is actually just going to continually lead you to, to being not fulfilled in life, accepting who you are and the fact that there's opportunities to serve me in this season and to die to yourself and to live for me, you'll actually find it. But for us, we believe, now surveys show there's another study done, 25,000 people that were followed for 15 years. Now half of those people maybe got married. Out of those that got married, their, tr their happiness went up a little bit for the first three years. For the first, uh, I don't know if, we, if I made this slide or not, but for the first three years, they got married and they're a little bit happier. But after that, married and non-married, happiness was completely equal. Completely equal. Actually, most married people are like, I wish I was single again. Most married people are like, I wish, non-married people are like, I wish I was. So, um, and so w w this, 
these things that we do, the, we tell ourselves, this is what self-fulfillment looks like. And Jesus is like, no. Like, follow me, deny yourself, love others. And this whole, so this denial is not an act of just like denying myself. It's so that we can be the loving presence to each other and embody the incarnation of Jesus Christ to one another. We can look at each other in the eye and we can experience grief, hope, love, joy, peace, patience. So, unsatisfied on one side, next slide, satisfied, follow Jesus, you'll be satisfied. You'll be fully satisfied. You'll be fully at peace, fully absorbing life. Secondly, if we don't, if we did, if we option A, we deny Jesus, follow ourselves, we'll be disintegrated. We'll, we won't be whole. We'll be, um, we'll be ruled by another vision of life that will just cause us to be disintegrated, whether it be politics or something else. We will, we will consistently be disintegrated in our life. We'll be out of touch with reality. Um, we'll begin to use people for, for our own gain. Um, and we'll constantly be trying to control people to get what we want. And deny yourself, follow Jesus, the integration, the inner peace, despite my circumstance, I'm feel peaceful. Um, whatever the integration is, it's it's the sense that like it can it's it's whole, that that my mind, body, and soul and will are completely integrated. It's not one over the other. That's what Jesus says life. And if, you, if, you, if you, you could forfeit your soul, is what he says later, the word life and soul are the same. It's the word where we get the word psyche. He's saying your soul life will be completely integrated. I could go on on that, but I need to try to move fast. Um, third, if we're, we deny Jesus' false self, we'll be ruled by desire. Now, again, desire is not bad. It's not a bad thing. It gets us out of bed. It's a great motivator. It's a horrible master. Let me say that again. Your desires are not bad. They are good. They're a great motivator, but they are a horrible master. And if we are led by ourselves, we will be ruled by our desires. That they will be our master. We will feel we need to say yes to anything we want to be happy. And then that we need, need more, more desire. And then what happens is, is instead of like, oh, this would be nice, we begin to demand it. We begin to demand it. And it's kind of like, I hate to use my kids as like a bad illustration because they are good kids. They do a lot of good things. But one of the things they do is like they will just lose it over like some little small toy that they just can't remember whose is whose. They're like, no, that it's like it'll be a, a, a jar of slime. And they'll be like, oh, that's mine. And they'll come down from the, they're like, worst day ever. <laughs> Slam the door. You are horrible parents. Like just losing it. This is the worst day of my life. All because of slime. And what I, I joke about that, but what I love about kids is they have no like, no like mask of their like sinfulness, which is really encouraging to me. Um, that they just like this is who I am. Here's my sinful self. We as adults basically are the exact same thing. We just learned to manipulate our, our desires, right? We just learned to socially manipulate the situation so it doesn't show. And so like basically we become the same little kid, just never emotionally maturing in life, never spiritually maturing in life, still being ruled by our desires. And if you live your life that way, thinking you just want to control everybody to become like you, you want everyone to begin to have the exact same views as you, you want everyone to have the same beliefs as you, you want everyone to do what you want, you will constantly be miserable because no one will transform to your desires. And God says, you know what? Give me your desires. Come to me. Let, let them die so that you can be motivated by love. 
The life of the Spirit, joy, peace, patience, and self-control, endurance, perseverance, that you will be motivated by love instead of ruled by desire. Lastly, in slavery to want, that if we deny Jesus, follow ourselves, we'll be enslaved to our wants. We'll be cons- we'll, they will become our master. They will become what rules us. And then if we follow Jesus, we'll be free from the domination of want. So as we mature, as we grow, the first half of life is all about us. You know, I love Richard War, following forward, spirituality for two halves of life. First half of life, it's all about creating an identity, right? Create, we're all creating this identity, this ego, external self that we're trying to present to our world to, to say, look at me, this is mine, this is what I want, here's who I am. And then, you know, it's filled with career, excitement, dating, mating, succeeding, failing, throw it all in together. It's the first half of life. Middle of life, it's the culmination of all those things. It's coming to a completion, acceptance of that, of that which is, it's living into that. And then second half of life, it should be, as Christ followers, being the most happy people that walk on the face of this earth. That we would be so filled with peace, so filled with joy beyond circumstance, that we would have the fullness of life that is truly life. The best way I know how to explain joy is going to hospice and seeing someone who is completely at peace, at rest, unaffected by all their external circumstances because they are at so peace. Now, that, you may look, feel like that's morbid, but that is a symbol of what it should be going on in our internal soul. That we are at so much rest and peace and love that we can be not, of course, we're going to be shaken, we're going to be flooded, we're going to be triggered, but God, in the end, when he, we deny ourselves and live into him, we will be at peace. Isn't that good news? Okay, just want to make sure we're on the same page here. So, in closing, just want to close with this. Famous quote, Jim Elliott. Many of you know this, some of you don't, but he was a missionary who gave his life, died serving Jesus to the Aka Indians. And he says, he is no fool to give up what he cannot keep, to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool to give up what he cannot keep, to gain what he cannot lose. And in the end, you and I have to cost the, count the cost of following Jesus. There is a cost. There's a cost of following him. Um, we have a lot of babies at Monsieur Day. A lot of babies coming up. You know, Ingles, Mustangs, these couples right here, they're about to die. Just letting you know. Going to die next, this, next month. They're dead. Dead to their old self. Dead to the married life. Well, you guys already have kids, but the Mustangs. Why would we let them do this? Why are we letting them do this to themselves? They're going to have some little thing poop on them and pee on them, keep them up in the hours of the night. They're going to have eye twitches. They're going to gain, uh, you know, Stefan might gain a couple of pounds here. You know, maybe not. We'll see what happens, you know. Um, they're going to be sleepless. They're, they're like, why? <laughs> My wife's telling me, like, TMI. You know, the costs are great, but the benefits are so much greater. The benefits are so much. You know, I could use an analogy of marriage. I could use an analogy of other things. They're all pale in comparison. But the, benef- the cost of following Jesus is great, but the benefits of following him are so much greater. On the flip side of that, you know, the flip side of that, there's also a cost of not following Jesus. 
There's a cost of non-discipleship. There's a cost of calling yourself a Christian, but being ruled by your desires for the rest of your life. There's a cost to convincing yourself that you are following Jesus, and the whole time you're just getting Jesus to give you exactly what you want. And the cost at the end is a life that's not filled with joy and peace. It's filled with bitterness. It's filled with envy. It's filled with with, with depression, it's filled with anxiety, and it will be the culmination of years of deceiving yourself that you, that, that you being God the whole time when actually Jesus is like, I've been here all along. I have a better way. Deny yourself, take up the cross. And the good news is, it doesn't end here. Jesus walks out the tomb. It's not about dying. It's, that's, this is the way to the resurrection life. This is the pattern to a raised life. Any other thing that tells you that the pattern to a resurrection life is other is selling you a, a bill of goods that is not, not fulfilling. The way to true life is dying to self and raising to God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we, we thank you so much for this hard reality, but God, uh, yeah, we, we live in a culture where, where we... We can't even, you know, it feels even foreign to tell our closest friends something that's hard. It, we live in a culture that even telling our closest friends something that they may not want to hear, if it's not affirming, we think that it's, it's bad. And it, it, we just live in such, almost such this uh, false positivity. And God, I'm all about positivity. I, I think we need it. I think we need encouragement more than ever. God, at the same time, may we not, we open our eyes to where, God, you're calling us to die to our desires. You're calling us to crucify the flesh. For some of us, that's going to be look different. Um, but as I, I want to help you identify some things, I mean, I want you to ask, where are you most easily angered? Where are you in this season most easily angered? Most easily, like, prone to outrage? Behind that anger is probably some kind of want or desire that you're not getting that you might just need to crucify, that you might need to, the daily practice of visually walking up onto the cross with Jesus, nailing that desire, nailing that disordered desire to the cross, saying, God, I'm giving it to you. I'm surrendering my life so I can accept your life that is truly life, so that I can accept the life and potential that you have for me, not my vision of life. And that vision, Missio Dei, is filled with joy. This is a hard call for many, but it is good news for all. That his life is abundant, and his way is true and right. So I encourage you to follow the way of Jesus, Live the cruciformed life so that you can experience resurrection. We pray.